This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Good morning. It's Thursday, January 25th, 2024. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit those horns and go. I hope you are too. Coming up on the show today, the UCI Paracycling Road World Cup rolls right off the tongue. Took place in Adelaide, Australia last week. Nathan Clement took part in it, so he'll recap his experience. This week's McLean's Magazine on AMI-audio will feature a series on their 2024 predictions for housing, sports, and climate. There's something like 30 predictions across the episode. Don Dickinson will talk about a few of the most interesting ones. And Apple released iOS 17.3 this week. Marco Flalo tells you what's in store, including some security updates that you may find useful. Let's begin the show with the top story of the day. I've sort of walked away from hitting you with hardcore, depressing news this morning, trying to talk about the intersection of technology and culture and society and health. So I've got three stories lined up here, starting south of the border. New York City's mayor has declared social media as a public health crisis. Derek Dennis has the story. Mayor Eric Adams' State of the City address included a surprise declaration that the city's health commissioner has named social media as a public health crisis. Companies like TikTok, YouTube, Facebook are fueling their mental health crisis by designing their platforms with addictive and dangerous features. We cannot stand by and let big tech monetize our children's privacy and jeopardize their mental health. Adam saying New York is the first major city in the nation to take on social media companies, holding them responsible for the harm being done to teens. Derek Dennis, ABC News, New York. Okay, coming north of the border and over to the Pacific Ocean, St. Paul's Hospital Laboratory in Vancouver is using AI-powered robots for some day-to-day tasks. John Kennedy has more. The robots use artificial intelligence to handle and process up to 70% of the hospital's microbiology samples as a part of a new $1 million system. Dr. Mark Romney, head of medical microbiology and virology at St. Paul's, says the new level of automation makes the lives of doctors and lab technologists easier by freeing them from repetitive manual work. Romney says both Tarzan and Jane have been working at the lab for two months now, assessing and sorting culture plates, separating bacterial cultures, and letting staff know if something needs further analysis. John Kennedy, The Canadian Press. And one more for you, and this one is the intersection of technology, science, and disability. Researchers are experimenting with gene therapy as a treatment for deafness. Andy Field explains. Doctors at Boston's Mass General and China's Fudan University say they've used gene therapy to restore hearing in five of six children in an experimental trial. Several U.S., Chinese, and European researchers have seen promising results in treating genetic forms of deafness. It would still need more clinical trials before the FDA would make it available across the country. There you go. Three stories to make you go, huh, this morning, while considering technology, science, work, disability, 
something for you to walk away with and ponder a little bit, maybe even talk at the dinner table or the coffee table or the bar later today. Let's get to the Daily Pulse at Accessible Media on X, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. I'm, I'm still stumbling over this X thing. I'm still annoyed by it. On Wednesday, you were asked about a change in the city of Edmonton. Edmonton will increase the cost of single-use paper bags to 25 cents at stores. And I asked this question to you in the poll. Have you gotten used to bringing your own bags to stores? 90% of you said yes, 10% of you said no. The real fun came out on air yesterday talking about your experiences and what the storage situation around your house looks like in terms of being overrun with reusable bags. But yeah, thank you for chiming in here. We also had Deborah writing in on Facebook, due to disability, I'm forced to use delivery and they charge for each bag used. It's expensive and stupid. At this point, with all the bags I've been forced to pay for, I could buy a week's worth of groceries. I wish there was a way of cashing them in. Even two for one would help. I've donated some, but damn, that's a lot of money down the drain. And I think that was something that Rumia brought up yesterday in segment eight of the show, right towards the end, talking about the idea of using a, a deposit system on reusable bags, much like you do with, say, cans or bottles when you get them from the, the beer store or the grocery store. And there's, there, there, there really could be something to that, the idea of paying a deposit on a bag, and if you bring it back, you get a little bit of that quiche back, maybe a way to stop being totally overrun with the bags. There was also Laura's suggestion of donating it to a charitable cause or a food bank or a food pantry. I thought that was a really awesome idea as well. So there was some ideation going on on the air yesterday. Really, really cool. At Accessible Media on X, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Today's poll requires just a little bit of setup. I was at the grocery store yesterday trying to save a little bit of money, working my way up and down the aisles. And I noticed some items that I typically like to buy were on sale. But I couldn't actually read the price because they put so much font and text in such a little teensy tiny font in such a teensy tiny space that I was like, wait, what's the actual price? Like, I see the word sale, but what's the price? What am I actually saving here? And, you know, in the end, because uh, I've been adapting to my disability for a long time, I took a picture with my phone <laughs> and zoomed in, and that's fine. But it would really slow down the entirety of the grocery shopping experience of every time I saw sale, I had to take a picture and zoom in. And listen, that's probably the experience of some of you out there as well. If you're using Be My Eyes or another kind of AI support device on your phone or some kind of headset or a smart lens, you know, there's all this stuff that, that pops up. Even some screen readers are capable of reading these codes. But it's a little, it's cumbersome, it's slow, it slows down the process. So trying to do a little bit of real talk this morning, a little bit of disability real talk with this question. Do you find it difficult to identify prices while navigating stores? Yes or no? Alex Smythe, I wanna give you the first crack at this one. Do you find it tough as you're working your way around the store, especially when you get some of those sale items with a lot of text and fonts and small print? Do you find it difficult identifying these prices? You know, I, I certainly can and I have found it that it, it seems like there are certain types of stores and certain uh, like kind of processes that some uh, companies do that just make it 
inevitably so hard to identify. And it's like, once you, you start to realize too, it's like, okay, well, accessibility goes out of the window. Anytime there's a sale price sticker or anything like that, you know, it, it doesn't really follow the same rules, regulations in terms of kind of labeling and things like that. And the worst is when it's like, you know, there's an item that there may not necessarily be a clear answer what the price is just in general, regardless of if it's a sale item or something like that. If you look at a tag and you just can't find the actual price of the, the item just in general, let alone if they're putting a, a, a sale uh, kind of sticker on top of it that has all that fine print, I, I get really frustrated by that. Uh, in, in like the grocery stores and things like that, I, I don't know why, but I always find like I, I, I come across the items or I search for the items that are always like misshoveled uh, and, and put into the wrong spot, whether there's like, let's say there's a, a row of soups. You know, you want one of them, you're looking for the one that happens to be on sale, but it's like kind of tucked beside other ones. So you don't know if this is on sale or if it's not on sale and you're just spending like three minutes trying to read, okay, <laughs> which one is the sale item? It's, yeah, it's in yeah. front of a, a thing that says sale. Is this the actual one? And as you say, Dave, you know, it, it always comes back to, let's pull out the phone, let's zoom in, let's see what it actually says. <laughs> You, you know, Laura, I think about this in the context of both a disability issue, but also a more holistic issue. People are trying to save money at the grocery store, right? Like like they are. The, the reality of the cost of food is a big one. And I think about the disability lens on this, but I think about the lens for everybody on this. I bet you there's a lot of people, regardless of anywhere on the blindness spectrum, that are having trouble identifying prices at stores. Uh, yes, that's very possibly true. Now, um, this has always kind of been an issue for me, but I feel like years ago, it just didn't, it was frustrating, but it didn't matter all that much. Uh, you know, it wasn't really worth my time to get my phone out for every single item and try to figure out what was on sale and what wasn't, because it wasn't going to make that huge of a difference. Um, but it really does now. And you can really get that sticker shock with certain items where you're like, whoa, $11 for yogurt. What? You <laughs> yeah. know, like, um, that, that sort that's, of thing. That's so. got to that's gotta be some good yogurt. Laura, Laura's eating the bougie yeah. yogurt over there. Well, so when I'm shopping, I, I do use my magnifier on my phone for pretty much everything when I'm shopping alone. And I do my big grocery shop uh, with my partner, but I do stop and get uh, little things here and there for my own, on my own. And it is a slow process. I have to just kind of buckle in and be like, you know what? We're here. It's probably going to take half an hour to get these five items. It is what it is. Um, but even then, it, it can be difficult if there's low contrast or things are up on a high shelf. And, you know, this really isn't something that I've heard talked about a lot, but maybe it should be, especially, as you say, in light of the kind of rising costs of groceries that we do need to have some sort of regulations or advocacy around uh, price tag accessibility. Laura, I, I, I have to focus on this yogurt comment for a second. I, I, I assume that maybe you were being a little facetious, but I get the impression that you're, you're buying the good Greek yogurt. I recently switched to the good Greek yogurt, and you're right. It's like eight bucks for a, for a, for a thing just because of the protein content and the lower calories. Yeah, um, I, 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 yes, I was just sort of uh, pulling that out of my. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I do think I've probably seen, uh, like, I do buy the the nice Greek yogurt, and that is something where I do choose to emphasize, like, um, not that I have a ton of disposable income, but I do really value having quality food and not having a lot of additives and things like that, yeah. and getting yeah. a lot of a sort of healthy uh, items for whatever that's worth, uh, but. 
Uh, we, we yeah, should, it, we, it can, you know, I, I think maybe prices are a little higher here in Atlantic Canada as well. So mm, I would bet mm, you that there is some some yogurt on the shelf for eleven dollars. We, we should do a feature on this show, like on MTV Cribs, where we go into people's fridges. I, I like, I would be genuinely curious because, like, Alex, you're you're a pretty good cook, and obviously you live mm. with your folks still at this point. Like, I bet you the Smythe fridge is an interesting place, and I feel like the Bain fridge is an interesting place. My fridge is very much a bachelor's fridge. It's like wine, beer, con and like yogurt yeah yeah well and that, that was, when i was living on my own dave that that was very much my <laughs> my fridge as well and and on the yogurt side of things what i developed a taste for uh once i got back from iceland was skier yogurt which is icelandic yogurt which is oh. even thicker than greek yogurt oh. it has uh it, it tastes even better it's almost like the consistency of like a cream cheese like it's that oh. thick it's so good definitely worth checking out what what what's that gonna run me uh, you know, it, it's going to be pricey. Maybe not the $11, uh, <laughs> if you're, as Laura points out. But I, I think, you know, like, there, there's, it's going to be more expensive than your, your standard Greek yogurt. I think, you know, it could be for a four-pack of single serving. It could be like 5 6 $7. Okay, maybe. okay. Yeah. Well, you know, you know what? Next, next time you come to Toronto, you're taking me to the grocery store, and you're going to show me where that is. Alex, thank you. <laughs> Laura, thank you as well. At Accessible Media on X, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. You can also chime in via email. Feedback at AMI.ca, feedback at AMI.ca. There's also the telephone, 1-866-509-4545, 1-866-509-4545. Give the show a ring-a-ding-a-ding-in. Coming up next, this week's episode of McLean's Magazine on AMI-audio features a series with predictions for 2024, topics like housing, sports, climate, there's a whole bunch of them. Content curator Don Dickinson talks about a couple of the most interesting ones. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv and in streaming audio at amiplus.ca. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. This week's episode of McLean's Magazine on AMI-audio is doing something really cool. There's a series going on, predictions for the year ahead, 2024. Last week's edition had this week's has housing, sports, and climate. You know, all these are generalized topics that are super cool. And there's like 10 predictions in each category. Like really, really interesting look at the year ahead. And it's almost difficult to pick which ones to highlight. But thankfully, content curator Don Dickinson has flagged a couple to talk about this morning. Hey, good morning, Don. Hey there, Dave. Yes, the most well-read woman you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, that's what's super cool about what you guys do on, on the reading so, show side, on the audio side. Like, there's just a lot of perspective you bring to the table, and this is a perfect example of, of, of why the shows are so, so valuable. So let's uh, pull at a couple of these threads, Don, starting with housing, specifically rental housing. What was their prediction around rental housing? Yeah, well, you know, we hear so much negative about housing, but these two things are are, are quite positive. And uh, last fall, the feds eliminated their 5% GST on all-purpose built rentals that kick off construction before the end of 2030. So basically, you start, have to think about things like student housing and um, apartment buildings 
Uh, then they called on all the provinces to slash their portion of the sales tax. Um, Ontario, Nova Scotia, and Newfoundland are the only backers thus far, but as a result, a slew of projects, once paused due to very high costs, are back in play. So that's great, you know, purpose-built mm-hmm. rentals. I mean, we need more of those. That That's such a huge part of the housing picture, and it's one that was largely ignored for about 25 years as condos were going up everywhere. So definitely nice to see that area of focus and certainly a little bit of positivity there. Don, another prediction, and this this relates a little bit to the rental picture, but it's also it's also its own distinct prediction, its own distinct story. What about short-term rentals like Airbnb? What are they what are they predicting around that atmosphere? Well, as we all know, you know, from the news, there's been a great deal of problems with Airbnbs. Last March, seven people died in a fire in old Montreal. Terrible. Uh, Six of whom were staying in an illegal Airbnb. By September, Quebec had rolled out new legislation allowing the province to issue fines of, now listen to this, Dave, $100,000 to short-term rental sites for each illegal listing. BC entered the fray also, instituting a mandatory registry operators uh, set to come into effect this fall. BC also imposed a principal resident requirement in communities with more than 10,000 people, meaning hosts can only rent out a portion they actually live in. Mm. The result is a de facto ban on commercial um, TSRs that would limit short-term stays in home sharing. The idea that launched Airbnb in the first place, actually, um, so... There's obviously more difficulties with Airbnb, don't get me wrong here, but at least mm. they're trying to attempt to some to solve some of the problems. Yeah, the, the, there's some complexity to it because there is some value offered by things like VRBO and Airbnb, but they also really mess up uh, a local housing picture. Like, it can be two things at once. They can be very useful and yes. very cool, but they can also be a problem. And Donna, uh, you, you mentioned some of the provincial landscape there. Federal Finance Minister Krisha Freeland has also weighed in on this and says the federal government is considering a change in some policy around short-term rentals too. So yeah, when they when you think about this as a forward-looking issue, the the wheels are definitely rolling on this one. Yeah, absolutely. No, they're 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 at least uh, attempting to rectify some of the problems. Yeah, uh, Don, that's housing. Of course, one of the other big issues uh, is climate. Climate hangs over a lot of the conversations that are had, whether it be economics, whether it be government, uh, energy policy, etc. But there's actually a really neat intersection here with Canadian businesses coming clean about their climate records. What are some of the details here? I think there's a little bit of complexity, but I did do a little reading on this. It's really neat. Yeah. And I mean, let's face it, you know, uh, a lot of businesses have been able to kind of schmooze their way through in the last little while. But corporate greenwashing, uh, greenwashers are now on notice, according to the government. As of January, all Canadian financial institutions will have to collect hard numbers on the greenhouse gas emissions they finance and in in uh, 2025 report them to the Canadian securities administrators at the moment the country's eight largest banks finance more than double the annual GHG emissions under the new rules any business that's um, that financial firms any sorry businesses that financial firms do business with will have to disclose their emissions data. So basically, they're going to have to come clean and they're going to have to record a lot more stuff and they're going to have to report it. 
Yeah, transparency, right? That, that, that at a certain point, it's, it's, you, you can't figure out a solution to a problem if you don't know what the problem is. And transparency is a big part of that. Yeah, the data has to be there, obviously, you know. Yeah. You can't just have these big, huge companies saying, oh, yeah, we're doing our part, you <laughs> know. No, no, no. Yeah, I, 100%. Okay, Don, let's end on a little bit of a lighter note here, but I think this one's really interesting, too. There were a lot of predictions on the sports fronts, but what was the one that you identified here to bring to the table for me today? Well, Dave, I think we're going to do a little switcheroo here because uh, – <laughs> Because in sports, uh, one of the predictions was that Canada's men's basketball team will return to the Olympics. It's been 23 years since the team last played on the Olympic stage. But McLean's uh, <laughs> believes that they're finally poised to make their big comeback. But since you're our big sports guy, Dave, <laughs> I thought it would be nice to ask you what you think of their chances big and sports guy yeah that that's two uh, those are two accurate describers of dave <laughs> brown uh don there has been a massive revolution and evolution in canadian basketball for the better part of 11 years there have been a ton of players countless players who have been drafted in the first round of the nba draft and a lot of them are having success in the league i'm not going to bombard you with a ton of names here but Shea Gilgis-Alexander is a point guard for the Oklahoma City Thunder. He's having just a marvelous year for them. He's in contention to win the league's most valuable player. He'll be a huge part of the Canadian team. Jamal Murray is a shooting guard who plays for the Denver Nuggets, who won an NBA title last year and was a key part of that team. It's not just that Canada in aggregate has one or two good players, Don. If you look up and down the entire roster, there's about 10 or 11 first-round picks who are going to make up that team. They had a really good showing at the World Cup last year. Don, I... I believe firmly that this team could win the gold medal at the Olympics. I believe they're as good as Serbia, the United States, a lot of France, a lot of these powerhouses. That said, it's it's a very difficult thing to win because there are elite basketball players from all over the world. But Don, I, I believe they've got a shot at winning the gold. And I would say anything less than some kind of medal would be a disappointment. I, I'm really looking forward to the basketball at the Paris Olympics. Really looking forward to it. Wow. Well, I mean, I'm excited, and I'm not usually excited about basketball. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. I, I, I've got, uh, I've been able, I've been able to bring you to my side, Don. Hey, yes. Don, love this, love these last couple episodes of McLean's Magazine. Keep up all the hard work. Have a great day. Have a great weekend. Talk to you next week. Okay, Dave. Take care. Bye bye. That's Don Dickinson, content curator for McLean's Magazine. You can find that show weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI Audio, but not on AMI Audio, not on AMIPlus.ca because I preempted. I take over those airwaves, but on AMI Audio on the uh, the network, you can on the television screen, you can find McLean's Magazine. Coming up next, the UCI Paracycling Road World Cup took place in Australia last week. Nathan Clement took part recaps the event and his own experience. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv.
remember there's always a lot of ways that you can get in touch with the show. Social media, that's on your phone, that's on your computer, you should be able to handle that one. At Accessible Media on X, at Accessible Media on X, you can tag the company, you can write right at us, you can respond to X's, can't call them tweets anymore, you can respond to X's, you can also chime in via TikTok, maybe you want to record a video, that's a lot of fun too, at Accessible Media is the point of contact on TikTok, then of course there's Facebook, at Accessible Media Inc, at Accessible Media Inc on Facebook, and that's the same point of contact for Instagram too, at Accessible Media Inc, at Accessible Media Inc on the ground then if you want to be a little more old school, maybe it's middle school when you talk about email, that's feedback at ami.ca. Feedback at ami.ca is the email address. Now, maybe you want to make Alexander Graham Bell super happy and pick up the phone and give the show a -a -a ring-a-ding-a-ding in 1-866-509-4545. 1-866-509-4545. If you go with the phone route though please give us permission to play your message on the air i don't care what you have to say so long as you say it to me we've got thick skin so let your voice be heard It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Some pretty exciting news on the Parasport front. It was reported yesterday that Paralympians are now going to be given equal compensation for winning medals at Paralympic Games. They're going to be getting equal compensation relative to athletes at the other form of the Olympics. I, I always find it weird to say, yeah, Paralympics, uh, normal Olympics, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all the Olympics, it's all good. And that's sort of what the announcement means. Equal, fair compensation for para-athletes, especially elite ones. Nathan Clement is an elite para-athlete and a community reporter based in Vancouver. Nathan, good morning. Nice to chat with you today. Good morning, Dave. How are you today? I'm well. Nathan, I'll talk about your success at uh, an event last week in Australia in just a second, but I want to get your take on that news that came out yesterday about fair and equal compensation for Paralympians taking home medals. It's monumental for the sports page and the sports scene in Canada, let alone disabled rights and disabled opportunities, giving athletes now a chance to have that additional funding, earn that money as our Olympic counterparts. But I even see this being bigger for helping sport development in the next 5, 10, 15 years and really helping the marketability and bringing eyes on the Paralympic movement for future athletes coming through the scene, trying to grow. So I have a feeling this is going to be having a huge impact, not on present-day athletes going for Paris, gold, silver, or bronzes, but future athletes as we look to Melbourne and future further away competitions and games. Yeah, I, I, I think you nailed it. You hit it right on the head there, Nathan. It was certainly a monumental announcement yesterday. It broke right at the end of the show, and we didn't get a chance to uh, talk about it. Talking about it with you now, talking about it with Brock Richardson, sports reporter, in about 20 minutes. And I know uh, Kelly and Ramia's show uh, also got a take on that yesterday, the beauty of doing live TV. Okay, let's talk about 
success in Paris sport because the UCI Paracycling Road World Cup took place in Adelaide, Australia last week. You competed and took home a couple of bronze medals. Nathan, what, uh, what's, what's your takeaway from, uh, from, from winning those two bronzes? It was an incredible experience to be down under and racing in Adelaide, Australia. We were very lucky to be on a racing track in, um, in South Australia on the bend, a massive 7.7-kilometer track with about 34 corners. So it was really an exciting experience, at least for me, having my first time to race on a racing track and getting to experience that. But overall, coming out with... Two bronzes is a great way to start off the year, kind of feel what I'm doing right, but look at also areas of improvement too. And just seeing some team success as we had uh, one of my teammates in the C category, Alex Hayward, pick up uh, a gold and a silver, as well as Charles Moreau, one of our hand cyclists, uh, picked up a uh, bronze medal in the time trial. And we had Ed Veal uh, and his, and Stoker, um, Lowell Taylor pick up a silver medal and uh, Megan Brown and Carlos Shibley picked up their first ever uh, World Cup medal. So it was an amazing time for that tandem pair just to have some great success early in the year and really get the ball rolling, get some confidence as we head into February, March, April before our next race is in May. So this mm. is a great little taste of hopefully things to come later on in the year for us. Nathan, you identify that you had your own success and a lot of your teammates had success. It's very interesting when you compete in what is very much an individual sport, you're accountable for your own individual performance, but how much does team camaraderie end up impacting all of the individuals working together, elevating each other? It's huge. I've been very fortunate to be a part of a couple individual sports, but also I like to say team sports as a former swimmer and now as a cyclist. That energy, when you see your teammate get up on the podium, when you see them celebrate, when you see that feeling, there's nothing better. There's nothing more exciting than seeing them reach their dreams, reach their goals, reach their targets. And that's something that is so great and helps create a team, a community of success. And that's what you want as a group. I've been very lucky at the Toronto 2015 Parapanam Games. I'll never forget Nicholas Guy Turbide touching uh, the wall and winning gold in the first event for us there. And at that, that moment, it was every single athlete wanted to experience that feeling for themselves and go for it. And that really helped bring everyone together as we were all vying for the same thing, the same targets and really helps bring us all together at the end of the day. Nathan, congratulations on the continued success. It's uh, been amazing to follow you on this ride here the last uh, year or so since you joined the show. It's really, really remarkable stuff. But let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the city of Vancouver because the Lunar New Year is on the horizon, the Year of the Dragon, and uh, Vancouver is going to have lots of festivities going on, including Lunar Fest. So how does Lunar Fest end up contributing to a sense of community across the city? It's a great celebration of music, of culture, as in Vancouver, we are a very diverse city and we have a lot of East Asian and Chinese heritage here. And it's a great way to celebrate and really bring everyone together to learn more about the East Asian culture, about Chinese culture, 
in and especially bring people together in the cold in all the weather that we have here and uh, get to try new foods get to try workshops and really just bring that sense of community that sense of strength together as a whole I think what's cool about Lunarfest as well is that it's running February 9th to 29th. So it's it's not just like, oh, it's a one weekend thing or it's a one day thing. There's a lot going on over the course of those 20 days. It's really amazing that it's over 20 days, pretty well over the month of February, even starting a little earlier into January in some aspects. And it really allows for that sense of community and that sense to really take in as much as you can over this time period as there's multiple events all across the city from Granville Island, the art gallery to different points all around downtown and even uh, closer to the Kitsilano area. So it's great to have all of this over a longer time period where everyone can really embrace it and just take everything in. Uh, Nathan, my favorite bar in downtown Toronto, and I'll shout them out on the air right now because they're awesome. The Wing House on Parliament is run by this woman, Shralia, who's like incredible. She's an owner, she's a bartender, she's like top tier, loves spending time with Shralia. She actually texted me last night and said, hey, we're going to do a special Lunar New Year's party like at, at the bar. She, she's Chinese. She said, oh, we're going to do a special Lunar New Year's party for like the regulars. So I've got a little bit of uh, Lunar New Year's plans myself here, which is going to be phenomenal. Like it's, it's, such, it's such a fun way to sort of celebrate. I think especially sort of in that middle of the winter, like you said, uh, cold months. I'm going to laugh at you a little bit for saying cold months in Vancouver, but but I, you know, I'll, I'll give you a little <laughs> leeway there. But I think it is cool when you have something to look forward to, right? It's like something that's like really celebratory to look forward to that like also contributes to like the tapestry that is the cultural identity of both East Asians and Canadians. I, I just think like it's the kind of stuff that just brings people together. It's fantastic. It, it, it really is. And... Uh even though we have our Vancouver cold here um, <laughs> for us, for us with the rain and just all that fun weather, like we had snow last week and this whole city shut down has probably made the news everywhere. But um, for us just to come together and have this sort of opportunity, that's just the sense of community because we're so as Canadians, we're so rich with so many different cultures and so many heritage and history that it's amazing that when we have these opportunities to come together closer and closer and closer and really learn and take in these opportunities to expand our knowledge, but also really bring in people who wouldn't know different aspects yeah. of what it means yeah. for the year of the dragon, what it means for certain aspects. It's, it's great that we have events like this. Yeah. Learning opportunity for sure. Lunarfestvancouver.ca, lunarfestvancouver.ca to learn more about this one. Nathan, give me a 30 seconds here on the hot chocolate festival going down. Uh, I, I didn't know hot chocolate needed a festival, but Vancouver has one going on. Of course it needs a festival. So, uh, throughout, the city pretty well um, from about January 13th to Valentine's Day, February 14th. Uh, over 160 uh, cafes, restaurants are going to be celebrating the Hot Chocolate Festival. So about 160 restaurants all around the Lower Mainland and even up into Whistler. It's going to have some very unique flavors and I've kind of been looking around and as you know, we probably talked about how I have a very unique uh, sense of flavor i love spice there's a bunch of spicy hot chocolates available as well as there's one that's piqued my eye is a marinara hot chocolate <laughs> that i really want to try and experience because when else are you gonna have marinara hot chocolate in your life
Uh, the answer is never, Nathan. The answer is never. Go on, Dave. Go on. <laughs> hey, Nathan, have a great day, man. Congratulations on the success. Don't drink too many of those hot chocolates. You got to stay in shape. <laughs> I'll have them all. Okay. <laughs> Hotchocolatefest.com to learn more. Hotchocolatefest.com to learn more. That's Nathan Clement, community reporter in Vancouver and elite para-athlete. The guy wears a lot of hats. In 60 seconds, Alex Smythe has the weather story of the day. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your morning business minutes. Canada's main stock index slipped a bit in trading yesterday despite strength in energy stocks after the Bank of Canada held its overnight interest rate steady at 5%. Toronto's TSX index gave back 8 points to close at 21,025. New York's Dow Jones average lost 99 points and the Nasdaq gained 55. And our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 74 cents US. Travelers reeling from flight cancellations after a recent cold snap in the prairies say WestJet refused refused to book them with other airlines despite a regulatory obligation to do so when no other alternative is available. The Canadian press communicated with more than two dozen passengers who said WestJet did not reschedule within the required window and instead opted to rebook them on its own flights, sometimes days later. And Bad Boy Furniture Warehouse is officially bankrupt after reportedly failing to file a restructuring proposal by the January 23rd deadline given by an Ontario court. From the Canadian Press Business Desk. I'm Karen Rebo. Thank you very much, Karen. Let's bring in Alex for the weather story of the day. Alex, from the Lunar New Year to the first full moon of 2024. Yeah, Dave, we always like to have uh, connective tissue, as you like to say on this show. So today we'll offer up a unique opportunity for stargazers, especially tonight. As you mentioned, it's the first full moon of 2024. And so each of these full moons, they have their own names and they're all pulled from different sources, histories, uh, connection points, different origins, sometimes indigenous, sometimes it's other European culture ones. The January full moon is known as the wolf moon. And this references the time of year where wolves are typically found to be more active. Uh, and so this is going to be followed up by the next uh, full moon, which will be happening the night of February 23rd, which is known as the snow moon. So, unfortunately now for a bit of uh, cold water on the proceedings, most of the country, you're gonna have a hard time seeing the wolf moon tonight just because most of the major cities you're dealing with overcast, snowy, cloudy conditions tonight. So places like Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, St. John's, Newfoundland, it's gonna be hard to see the full moon tonight. That said, if you live in the prairies or maybe you're out in Halifax, Nova Scotia, you're gonna have a much easier time checking out the full moon. And the great thing is if you get clear enough skies, it's not the only thing you can see tonight. So there's gonna be a few different constellations, Orion, Cancer, Gemini will all be visible as well. The planet Jupiter will be shining bright in the sky and if you have you know, a telescope, some binoculars, some something to really zoom in. If you look at Jupiter, you may be able to spot some of the moons orbiting oh gosh. around the big planet. So it's a bit of an exciting time for, for stargazers. I, unfortunately, with my night blinds, just never quite get the opportunity to see it with my, my yeah, naked eye. But yeah. 
maybe there's some folks out in the prairies, out in Halifax, who who have some equipment, have a bit of uh, you know uh, excitement around stargazing. So tonight is a great night to get out and look at the cosmos. Yeah, definitely a nice night if you live in the country, or you live in a cottage, and you get that clear sky. Oh, that would be a fantastic experience. Alex, thank you for this. Talk to you a little bit later. Sounds good. That's Alex Smythe. Coming up next, the Seacats Blind Hockey will be hosting a trial session in Moncton, New Brunswick. Community reporter Natalie Fougere tells you about it. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Emotional support groups play a critical role in creating community. Moncton community reporter Natalie Fougere has some experience with a emotional support group and wants to share it with you. Hey, good morning, Natalie. Good morning, Dave. Natalie, this is obviously something that is really important for, for anybody. Uh, getting emotional support is critical. But why, what motivated you to join this particular group? Actually, it's that a few of my friends were part of that group. And at first, I thought, oh, I don't think that it's something that I could really benefit from or that I would need. And the more that I was finding out about the group, and then I went to a couple of activities that non-members could be part of, and then I was strongly encouraged to be part of the group. And it's uh, one of the best decisions that I, I've ever made. Natalie, understanding there's probably a little bit of privacy here based on like the nature of how, of how people are interacting. What are some of the activities that, that, that bring people together? Because it sounds like it's more than just like a, a discussion circle. Oh, it's uh, it's definitely more than that. It's um, it's an activity center. So there's a lot of different activities that we uh, hold. There's a bingo that goes on every week, so people have the chance to play. I have the chance to bring my braille card, so it's uh, it makes it very accessible for me. Uh, the director, that's very uh, very kind of him to let me do that. Uh, there's also different restaurant outings. There's also like different games within the group, and that that support is there if people need to talk they can call him like a, during the day when he's there in the afternoons like the group so great support is uh, given by him but also amongst us and it builds great friendships i made great friends through that group as well natalie uh this particular group has been in existence for over four decades why do you think they're they're able to have this incredible longevity Yes, it's been going on for 37 years, actually, this year. Uh, the reason why I think it's so long-lasting is that um, the director is has such great... Uh, organization and like uh, like everything is is very well organized and it's a very positive super positive environment so people go there can forget their truck we can forget about all of our trouble and just have a good time and just laugh and and have fun with everybody yeah i love that okay i'm going to give the phone number here for someone who's in the moncton area who perhaps wants to get involved here or maybe even call and, and learn a little bit about what they do if they want to start one in their neck of the woods. So the phone number on this one is 
506-857-1340. That's 506-857-1340. Okay, that's emotional support, people getting together, doing activities. There's another kind of activity on the radar here, the Moncton Sea Cats. They're a blind hockey program, and they're going to be offering some sessions coming up. Natalie, what are the opportunities available here for someone who might want to get on the ice and uh, do a little twirl? Yes, so this uh, particular event has been a partnership between the the Seacats, which is the uh, blind hockey team that's going on uh, in Moncton, and uh, there's also a partnership with the Moncton Wildcats and Pair New Brunswick, and it's an event uh, where people have the chance to learn like a few a few skills, no matter how basic it is, that just want to try out how is blind hockey, even if people just want to be in the eye on the ice for a few minutes. To, to get a feeling of how it is to skate. It can be at, like as beginning stages or people that just want to know what it's about. And this event is a great event. It's coming up this coming uh, Monday, the um, the 29th actually. And it's at the uh, Avenir Center here in Moncton. Natalie, it's uh, I played a lot of hockey when I was a kid. And as an adult, I took up coaching kids hockey, which I really loved. But in the last couple of years, I've put on a little bit of weight. I've sprained my ankles. I've hurt my knees. I've hurt my hips. I've hurt my back. I'm an old guy, Natalie. I'm falling apart over here. But uh, I think if I got back on skates, my ACL might explode. But what are the odds we can get you on the ice next Monday? So I'm not exactly sure if I'm going to be able to make it uh, this coming Monday, but I have gone on the ice a few times when they had regular practices in Dieppe at the Olympic uh, um, uh, arena. So I had the chance. I was at the very beginning stages. I, I felt like I was in kindergarten there, still <laughs> hanging on to the, the the side. But and and me too. I'm not the person that's the most in shape. But I actually really did enjoy it. I had a good time because I could go as slow as I as I needed, and it was a, it was a great time. So it's strongly encouraged for people that want to try it out. I'm going to give the phone number here for folks to uh, learn more about this try it session, but also just to maybe get in touch with the Moncton Seacats to uh, learn a little bit more about what they do. 506-588-3386. That's 506-588-3386. And definitely big shout out to uh, all those uh, blind hockey programs running across the country. Uh, there's been a ton of growth in the sport, and that's a huge testament to the national program and the local programs, really, really cool, and uh, always looking for new folks to get involved. All right, Natalie, let's end this on a laugh. The Hubcap Comedy Festival is making its way back to Moncton. So uh, what's on offer here? What, what shows are you going to attend? Well, I plan on attending a couple of uh, French shows that are going on uh, tomorrow and Saturday. Tomorrow it's uh, called Rendez-vous de la Francophonie, so it's a francophone. Uh, um, uh, it's a very nice uh, mix, of, and Rachid Badouri is the main uh, comedian that's playing over there. Saturday night, I'm going to see uh, Luc Leblanc, which is uh, one of our well, local comedians, but that did, that made it very big uh, within the province and also even uh, beyond. And uh, next Saturday, uh, the 3rd, I'm going to go see Nikki Payne, uh, which is a very well-known comedian uh, as well. So it's it has a great mix of different shows. So I'm really looking forward to seeing these. 
Natalie, in the last segment, I was talking to community reporter uh, Nathan Clements in Vancouver, and, and he and I were sort of kicking around the idea that this time of year is a little bit tough because there's not a lot to look forward to. You know, in the summertime, there's a million things going on. It's so fantastic that there's a comedy fest coming your way at the end of January, early February. It, it's just something to put on the calendar, you know? It definitely is. It's definitely a yearly tradition for me. I always try to catch at least one show because for, for me, laughter is one of the best medicines, and it's definitely a pick-me-up for this time of year. 100%. Okay, I've got some more details here. January 24th to February 3rd, multiple venues across the Moncton area. I'm going to share the email address here for uh, folks to learn more. Info at hubcap comedyfestival.ca info at hubcapcomedyfestival.ca well natalie it sounds like you've got a busy calendar i'll let you get back to it always nice talking to you good to talk to all of you as well <laughs> that's natalie fougere community reporter in moncton new brunswick in one minute laura bain has the latest news from the entertainment world but first boat manufacturers are trying to figure out how to go greener mike debusky floats by with another edition of tech trends from ABC News Tech Trends, the annual boat show has anchored itself in New York City, and while there are some electric boats on the show floor, it's a far cry from the onslaught of EVs that have populated auto shows in recent years. Electric and water is a challenging mix. Frank Hugelmeyer is the president of the National Marine Manufacturers Association. He says it's common for boats to be in operation for 30 or more years at a time. If you've got 12 million boats around the country, it's going to take many years for that fleet to change over. And so really, how do you address the, the footprint of the fleet? That's why sustainable fuels that mix traditional gasoline with greener alternatives are getting more attention. But it's not one size fits all. Electric does have a use and it will be one of the best paths. Hybrid is another uh, path. Hydrogen is emerging and you're seeing new innovations in that area. With Tech Trends, I'm Mike Dubusky, ABC News. Thanks very much, Mike. Every single year, Mike Dubusky does a Tech Trends actually does a couple from the International Boats Show in New York City. I think Mike Dubusky likes boats. I'm going to put that together. And speaking of boats, Lawrence Gunther is going to stop by on Tuesday to talk about the Toronto International Boat Show. So boats, boats, boats! For uh, those of you who liked How I Met Your Mother, you'll get that joke. For those of you who didn't watch the show... But what are you doing? Go watch it. Not right now. Finish watching now with Dave Brown first. But later today, go watch How I Met Your Mother. It's awesome. Let's bring in Laura Bain to talk about something in the world of entertainment. And Laura, fans of Jon Stewart are going to be delighted to find out that he's coming back to The Daily Show, at least a little bit. Yeah, that's right. So he's going to be returning to host on Monday nights, which is apparently the most watched night for the show, starting on February 12th and running up until after the November U.S. Uh, election. So he's also going to be working as an executive producer on the show, and that's going to last until at least 2025. So for the remaining nights, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, The Daily Show is going to continue to use guest hosts, which is what it's been doing for the last year and a little bit since Trevor Noah left. Um, so just something I kind of want to mention here. Now, the president and CEO of Paramount uh, Media Networks called Jon Stewart the voice of our generation, kind of speaking about this decision to to bring him back. I don't I don't know what you think about that. Like the voice <laughs> of our generation. 
Uh, now I'm I don't currently watch the Daily Show or like any late like night TV for that matter. I'm I'm long in bed, but there was a time when I used to watch the Daily Show, and it was during John Stewart's kind of run. I mean, it was hard to miss him. He was on there for like 15, 16 years. Yeah, but yeah. I feel a little bit conflicted. I feel like he was a great host at that time. I'm just not sure kind of how fresh he is now and i'm also sort of thinking oh is that what late night tv needs more older white male perspective i don't don't know just me okay 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 you're putting me in a bad spot with that setup i you're putting me in a really bad spot with that setup uh have you followed his career at all since he left the daily show did you watch his apple tv plus show (laughs) at all oh no the internet did your did your internet go down are we are we dealing with internet issues laura talk to me please tell me you're still there Oh, well, I can hear I can hear you, but on my end, you're cutting in and out a little oh, bit. Oh dear, you... oh dear, we're having another issue today. Am I today. clear on your end? I'm, I'm, you're, you're coming in a little intermittent here, but if you can't hear me, then it's going to make it very difficult to have a conversation. So I'm going to answer Laura's question here about how I feel about John Stewart coming back and whether or not he's the voice of a generation. If you have followed the work that he's done for the better part of three years with his Apple TV Plus show, he's been really doing the accountability thing like he's so good at asking accountable questions to powerful people while still being funny i i think that he is a true artist in the way he does that i am not comfortable saying that he's the voice of the generation but i do think that he's someone who has given a lot of perspective Perspective and has talked about the realities of the world that we live in uh, in a very understanding, empathetic way. I also believe that through his work when he was on The Daily Show, that ended up being a continuity with Trevor Noah, they've platformed a lot of comedy and perspective that isn't just white males. So I, I I think that, yes, the premise of, like, do we just need more white males coming back and taking over powerful positions on TV? I mean, it's a bad spot to be in to kind of answer that question, but I think someone like Jon Stewart has earned the opportunity to come back and share his perspective on what is a very important year in American politics. Okay, there there are internet issues going on here. I'm going to take us to break. Uh, If the show comes back, I really hope it comes back. Uh, We've got a great second hour lined up for you. If it doesn't come back, I want to thank you once again for your ongoing patience with the technical tantrums that uh, this TV show seems to run into on the regular. So, maybe we're back in two minutes, maybe we're back in four minutes, maybe we're we're done for the day, but this is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. (music) 
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-TV. A big shout out to the gang working behind the scenes to try and address the internet meltdown that was had around the office. There's always these little uh, tantrums that pop up on the air, but a big thank you to the folks behind the scenes and thank you for your patience as well. As you know, things got a little off the rails there. Hope you enjoyed some of that best of content that we uh, put together for you. <laughs> All right, let the hour begin by bringing in Brock Richardson for a sports chat. Hey Brock, there's some beauty to doing live TV and there's some drawbacks as well. Right at the end of the show yesterday, some news was broken by Devin Aru of CBC about Paris sports. And this is some big time news that you had a chance to react to on Kelly and Rumia yesterday, but I want to hear your reaction too. The Canadian Paralympic Committee has announced a new Paralympic performance recognition program. The program ensures that Paralympians are provided a financial reward for medals won at the Paralympic Games. Brock, your reaction to that news, because this is a long time coming, and it's a big deal. This is a very long time coming, and it's a big, big deal. This is something that's been uh, touted around ever since the Olympians received this same funding beginning in 2008. I was involved in the Paralympics uh, back then. We were waiting and waiting and waiting to see what our announcement would be, didn't come. And now yesterday was a great day to see this happen for the Paralympic community. And I could not be any happier uh, for the program as a whole. I just think it's an amazing, amazing feat. And it's long overdue, Dave, long overdue. Yeah, that, that's the thing, right? It can be two things at once. It can be really excellent news. It can also be long overdue. But as you look forward, Brock, what do you think the broader impact might be on sport at the elite level and the grassroots level? I think this uh, at the elite level, let's start there. First, first of all, I think you're going to see uh, more recognition uh, of these para-athletes because now we're one and the same. I also think you're going to see a real spike in the grassroots level because now, Dave, it's not so much, oh, I get to represent my country at a Paralympic Games, which is good in, a, in and of itself. But now you can say, I can get X amount of money if I win uh, a medal. And I think that's going to give people even more incentive to an already pretty high existing incentive to want to represent your country. That's what I see. Yeah, Brock, I, I, I want to draw a parallel to the importance of the Professional Women's Hockey League that has emerged here in the last month or so, that it kind of gives a destination, right? I, not, that isn't to say that the Olympics is utterly professionalized, but it gives you something to work towards with some compensation that could actually make something resembling of a career. And I think that by oper offering opportunity, by clear goals with a clear reward at the end, it just means that somebody may stick to their pathway with that little extra oomph or that little extra commitment. It's, you know, no, no one becomes a millionaire being an Olympian or a Paralympian. But when you start creating financial pathways that make it more sustainable, it just means you've got people who might be able to give that little bit extra. Yeah, and you got to remember all the time that's factored in that 
we don't see we get to see the glitz and glamour of like oh we're at this event and that's what we do and we get to compete for this medal and stand them amongst the podium but you also have to factor in the fact that people have to train to get there and spend hours and hours on the field of play to do that and sometimes that well all the time that comes at a cost but it also comes at a cost in your own workplace and you only have so many vacation days if you're lucky to do that so sometimes you may have to take a leave of absence which means you're not funded from your workplace or uh being at the paralympic Games. so now this is kind of a balance uh to the situation and i really like it and i think just to put a little bit of a extra emphasis on this athletes who are carded which means they get money uh per month that still just barely covers your expenses and if you're lucky to have anything left over you're doing well because it's 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 a big cost associated with with being a paralympian and representing your country Hey, Brock, thank you for this. I know uh, you kind of got to share your take here twice in two days. Uh, Kelly and Rumia got the first taste, but thank you for this. Thank you for stopping by, and thank you for the ongoing advocacy that you've done on this front. You know, it's a big victory for a lot of people uh, yesterday. Brock, have a great day, man. Talk to you tomorrow. You as well. We'll talk tomorrow. Uh, thanks, Brock. Coming up after the break, the 2024 Sundance Film Festival is in full swing. Michael McNeely reviews Never Look Away. But first, here's Greg Westlake with the Parasport Update. Hello and welcome back to the Parasport Update, produced in collaboration with the Canadian Paralympic Committee. I'm Greg Westlake. The blazing sun of Adelaide, Australia, set the scene for the road race portion of the first Paracycling World Cup of 2024. Alex Hayward continued his hot start by capturing silver. Lowell Taylor and his pilot Ed Zeal earned silver as well, while Carla Shibley and her pilot Megan Brown won bronze. And Nathan Clement added his second bronze to cap off a successful competition for Canada. Staying down under, but moving from the racetrack to the courts, in preparation for the first major of the year, Rob Shaw and his doubles partner Heath Davidson took part in the Melbourne Wheelchair Open. Despite a strong start, the duo fell in the semifinals. The groups for the International Wheelchair Basketball Federation's Repechage Tournament are now official. The events are a last chance qualifier for the 2024 Paralympics, with the top four teams punching their tickets for Paris. Canada's women are in Group B against Spain, France, and Japan. The men are in Group A against the Netherlands, Iran, and France. The men's tournament goes from April 12th to the 15th in France, while the women play April 17th to the 20th in Japan. And that's our time for this edition of the Parasport Update, presented by AMI-audio. Check back next week for more exciting news from the world of adaptive sports. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. The 2024 Sundance Film Festival is in full swing. Screenings are taking place in person in Utah. But there's also an online component until January the 28th. Entertainment critic Michael McNeely is covering the festival. Today he's going to review a documentary about the late Margaret Moth. The film is called Never Look Back and is directed by Lucy Lawless. Michael's in studio, beautiful Studio 7, alongside his intervener, Jillian. Hey, good morning, Michael. 
Just a small question. It's never look away. Never look away. Okay, that's uh, that's kind of an important note. Very much an important note. But I am someone who uh, just reads what's put in front of me. I'm like uh, Ron Burgundy, if you've ever seen Anchorman. Okay, for CNN, why is her story so significant? I feel like without migrant mouths work and her achievements, many human rights violations would have been unnoticed, as well as the general playing field for women in uh, photojournalism and in journalism in general would be very underutilized. I feel like Margaret Moth, um, she was the first cabal woman from New Zealand, and that's saying a lot, because that was basically back in the 80s and the 90s where she was starting to do her work, and it's just amazing how short ago that was. And this is a male-dominated industry, and it has always been, I think, so that women were starting to break through with Margaret Moff's hope, and women were showing that they were able to cover some of the horrific, horrific aspects of humanity, mostly caused by men, i.e. war. What did the film have to say about disability? So, essentially, it's important to know that Margaret was shot by a sniper in 1992, and I was trying to figure out where the bullet would have gone, but it would have passed her jaw, and it would have gone right into her throat. She survived, but many people wondered if she should have, because they believed her suffering was so great that maybe it would have been better if she had died, which, of course, is something that we talk about in the disability. Oh, yes. Oh, oh, yes. Um, but thankfully, she found a way to uh, cope with her injuries. I'm not going to say she overcame them, because that's stereotypical. But she had 25 different surgeries to replace aspects of her jaw and her mouth. She had lost most of her teeth. And just to know what kind of a badass she was, is that she wanted to go back to the place where she was sniped so that she could find her missing teeth. Um, that was the kind of person she was. She was the... She was more of a man than most of the men around her. She would smoke big cigarettes, or big cigars, actually, and she would make those kinds of jokes that you know that all people make in war zones. Um, and she was basically one of the first people that would tell you that if you're living in the Hilton, if you're staying at the Hilton, or you're staying at one of those fancy hotels in the war zone, it's not fancy anymore because they're being targeted by missiles. And the journalists are just cooped up counting her days left on desert. Mm. Um, so there's really a sort of fatalistic um, mindset that comes with this profession. So Margaret um, embraced all that, and she showed that she could continue doing that, even as a person with a disability or a facial difference. And I was hoping that the movie would talk more about some of the adaptations that she had to make. I would have been curious to know how um, she was able to eat during the war zone because she had to have things um, fed through a pipe, or at least through a tube at some points. Um, she also said that after 1992, she always sounded drunk. So I'd be curious to learn more about the kinds of skills she adapted. Mm. And basically the documentary goes on to say that before 1992, Margaret had covered lots of more, but after 1992, she covered even more. Mm. So she compensated for herself in a bit, right? And 
maybe we don't have to, but that's what she did. What do you think the documentary did really well? I think the documentary did a really good job about Samwise and Margaret's life and some of, the, some of the things that made her human. So, for example, she had a relationship when she was 30 with a 17-year-old boy, and she encouraged that boy to drop out of high school, which probably shows me that she wasn't necessarily the most, uh, you know, selfless person. Um, she had some very interesting personal flaws, and so that's probably from the result of her work and probably having PTSD. She probably tried every drunk there is on the planet with that 17-year-old, too, from LSD to heroin and cocaine. So, you know, it's just wild to, to know that there was this, these people in these professions that don't have enough mental health support to help them and that they're basically all by themselves trying to give us the information that we need so that we can talk to the UN and say, stop this. There's, these are innocent people dying. You need to stop it right now. Apparently, sometimes that's enough to stop a lot of conflicts. Not to oversimplify, but sometimes people just need to hold other people in, into check. Yeah, so accountab think, like accountability, that's what journalism is supposed to be. Yes, exactly. That's a good point, right? So that's why these people go to these war zones, because nobody else is doing that work, and people are just killing each other for no reason. Um, so I think that was well done. I think I think it is. It's hard to do justice to a uh, to a woman that is as complex as she is, and I hope you know maybe make it a feature film sometime. Mm. Did you ever see the movie with Tina Fey, Whiskey Tango, Foxtrot? It's about journalists in Afghanistan. My father has been recommending it to me. And yeah, it's excellent. I probably have to tell him that he was right this whole time yeah, because excellent. I haven't. Well, just, uh, just related to this material, right? I think if you if you found this material compelling, I think that would be a film that uh, you would really enjoy as well. And Tina Fey is a genius, total genius. Uh, Michael, let's talk about the festival more broadly. How's Sundance going so far? Sundance just started for me yesterday, but it's going well. Um, I figured out some of the online accessibility tools, including captioning subtitles and having a background on the subtitles, which I've been very adamant about because it's hard to see them sometimes without a background. Um, I will say that there are less films online than the entire festival has in person, so I'm missing out on some of the in-person films, but I'm grateful for the ones that there are on, 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 online. Um, I think it's it's going to be an amazing year. If, if this is any indication, there's going to be a lot of amazing movies coming this way, and they're not Marvel movies or Disney movies. <laughs> but they may be bought by Marvel and Disney soon enough. Yeah, it does, uh, it does feel like perhaps a lot of the compression that occurred during the pandemic, the slowdowns and shutdowns of production, it feels like the wheels are really moving here. Even with the writers and actors strike last year, it really does feel like there's about to be an onslaught of really good movies. In fact, I'd say we're probably already there. If you look at the, the nine movies that were nominated for best film uh, at the Oscars, like all those movies are quite excellent movies and they've all popped up obviously in the last year. I mean, even the ones that I don't like, yeah, I can appreciate. Yeah. You know, the work and effort that goes into them, and yeah, we'll have to talk about Barbie's nap, but we'll do that another time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's have that conversation a little bit differently. Michael, I, on the way out here, I want to ask, ask you this. You've attended Sundance in the past. You've been in Utah. You were there in 2020. I remember you and I talked about your experience there. I know you've been advocating 
for online screenings of festivals. And it's certainly a, a great thing. But is there a little part of you that wishes you were in Utah right now? Oh, yes, I, um, I miss Utah, but I, I let them to figure out the political situation in the States first. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, um, there are some movies that I'm really interested in, and I just hope that we get to see them sooner than later, because sometimes if a movie doesn't do well enough, it disappears for a while, and then you're like, oh, that's the one that came out five years ago. It's back here again. But I think I think we have a lot of stars that are making movies, including um, Emma Stone. She produced the movie I watched yesterday with oh, um, wow. Jesse Eisenberg and Kieran Culkin. It's called A Real Pain, and it's basically a tour of concentration camps in Poland that, has, that is more funny than it has a new way to be. Um, but Emma Stone's involved, everyone's involved. So those people are the ones that have, you know, big, big movies, AAA movies. But they're making smaller independent films, and that's what I enjoy, because they're using their power to start to tell stories that they're passionate about. And I think that's just—that that does, it does my heart good, because yeah. I, I know that all these big-name stars and these actors, they have something to say that's not just, you know, bam, bam, bam. Um, and I want to see what they have to say. I want to see, you know, what they use their power for. Michael, thank you for this. Have a lovely day. You too, and um, I'd like to give one last note to Margaret Muff, because I think it's amazing to carry those cameras in a battlefield, because those cameras look like they weigh about 200, 300 pounds. And she was willing to stand on the apartment building, she was willing to stand on top of it and have a missile directed to her, which of course is not for everybody, but, I mean, that's badass. Yeah. Michael, thank you for this. That's entertainment critic Michael McNeely reviewing the documentary Never Look Away. Sundance Film Festival screens online now until January the 28th. For more information, visit festival.sundance.org. Coming up after the break, Marco Flalo stops by to talk about an update to iOS. Let's see if I can get these numbers right. iOS 17.3. Ha-ha! There you go. Nailed it. I'm good at the mathematics. Anyway, taking a bite of the apple after the break. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv, let's turn to the world of technology. Apple released iOS 17.3 earlier this week. The update contains some security features that may perk up your eardrums. Mark Flalo has the details. Mark is the co-host of Access Tech Live, which comes your way in about 90 minutes on the mighty airwaves of AMI-tv. Hey, good morning, Mark. How's it going? I can't complain, Dave. How are you? I am doing all right. So, Mark, let's talk about the security features, because I think that's what's getting the buzz here. How significant yeah. is the security update? 
Uh, listen, like every every little point update, as they call them, uh, it's always important to uh, definitely make, do those updates because you get those little security fixes that they don't even tell you about. But this one's pretty significant because it's got some new features that are security related, which we're going to get into. Yeah. So dive a little deeper. What are those what are those features uh, on offer? So the biggest one is what's called stolen device protection. Right now, if your device was stolen, if they have your password, like your actual, just like your four-digit PIN or your six-digit PIN, they can pretty much get into anything in your phone. They could get into your password, your keychain, and all that stuff that's stored on your device. So stolen device protection now enables the biometrics whenever you actually use your device. So if you want to go into your iCloud keychain, which is where it stores all your password, that's your password manager, you're going to need to use your fingerprint or your face ID. If you want to go into your iCloud account and change anything, like turning off the Find My tracking, you're going to have to use your bio metrics um th things like obviously changing the password turning off loss mode it's all an extra layer of protection plus if you actually do declare that your phone is lost it's going to not let anybody change anything on your iCloud account at all so oh, previously we've heard stories of people getting their devices kind of leaning over a shoulder and getting their their four digit pin and suddenly they're they're in and changing iCloud passwords within seconds which means they can access bank accounts and everything that you might have stored in your device that is no longer a thing so that's the biggest update that we're seeing in 17.3, and that's definitely a reason that you're going to want to do that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I can see that one is a big, a big deal. When you say biometrics, that's like the uh, thumbprint, the fingerprints, thumbprint, or the, or the ID. eyes. Yeah, face ID. Exactly. Oh, fantastic. Uh, Mark, yeah. what about some of the fun stuff here? Apple Music. What's going oh, on with yes. Apple Music? So this is a cool one. They have a new uh, feature called Collaborative Apple Music Playlist, which, as the name suggests, allows you to collaborate. But normally, you'd only be able to collaborate with people on your iCloud family account. But now you can collaborate with anybody with an iOS device or even people with just Apple Music if they're using it on an Android device or computer. So you can create a playlist or you can share an existing playlist with anybody in the world. There's no limit to how many people you can share it with. They can add music to it. You can add music to it. You can listen at the same time. This is fun. Uh, we use it a lot of my daughter's ringette team we get everybody to contribute to one playlist <laughs> and they can and when we get into the locker room before a game day everybody gets their song mixed in there it's not always fun when they accidentally put the non-radio edit so uh but we but it, it's a lot of fun it's a lot of fun to kind of keep that connection going with people not to uh, take too big a bite on apple but spotify has been letting people do that for like eight years i don't know what you're talking about never heard of that feature before <laughs> in my life uh now, now mark i deliberately kept myself ignorant on some of this stuff because i wanted to hear okay. it from you Airplay hotel support. What on earth? Yeah. So, I mean, hotels have been kind of upping their game lately in terms of giving you access to streaming media services. For example, there's a lot of hotels now. You'll go check in, and when you go on the TV, they'll let you sign into Netflix or Prime or one of your accounts. Apple is working on a partnership with hotels to actually make TVs AirPlay compatible. So when you turn your TV on, you'll literally see an AirPlay code. You can just AirPlay directly from your phone as long as you're on the hotel's Wi-Fi network. You can cast whatever you're watching oh, to the I like TV. That. I so like Prime, that. Netflix, think of any streaming, even watching YouTube, you can go right to your hotel TV. It kind of reduces the friction and try. They're trying to make your stay at a hotel a bit more homely, a bit more comfortable than it is normally. And this is one way that iOS users can use it. Again, a feature that has kind of been there uh, via casting on Android devices for a while, but uh, Apple catching up. <laughs> uh, Mark, <laughs> the, the the casting world. I, I was a late joiner. I think it was about two years ago. I got a Chromecast. My gosh. Does it change your experience with entertainment oh, in such a massive way? 
It, you know, it reminds me of, um, I don't know if it was the movie Minority Report, maybe some Avengers movies where they would just kind of swipe up on their screen and throw it at a TV. And suddenly whatever you had on your screen was on this giant TV. I think it was an Iron Man movie. Um, but yeah, no, casting is really cool because you can suddenly say, if someone's trying to like look over your shoulder, what are you watching? Hey, well, let's just cast this to your TV. We can all watch it together. It, it is fun. Mark, big picture question here, because last week yeah. you expressed a lot of enthusiasm over the new line of Samsung Galaxy phones, mm -hmm. specifically the way that they're they're practically incorporating incorporating artificial intelligence into the user experience. Um, what you've just described here from Apple in a lot of cases seems like catch-up stuff. Yeah. What what's the big picture in the Samsung Apple fight right now? Because they traded spots as they traded spots uh, two weeks ago in terms of like the the biggest selling phone in the world. Apple surpassed Samsung, but Samsung seems like they're kind of jumping on the cutting edge stuff here. Whereas Apple's yeah. playing catch up. What's the big picture right now in the Apple Samsung battle? Also think about the fact that Samsung also ditched Google for a while there and tried building their own operating system and, and quietly, uh, you know, came about face and went back to Google <laughs> yeah, right back and to have Android. not renewed some partners. Exactly. Um, you know, listen, I think we're, we're definitely in an age of software competitiveness. This is definitely where people are going to stand out amongst the competitors. Apple's been very quiet on AI. You know, they've not said the words, they've not said those letters in any public forum for easily two years now. There, there, there is AI on board in various elements of the services and software, but they haven't really come out publicly and said, this is how we're using these new lab natural language models. So um, there's definitely catch up there. You know, when asked the question, the the Apple, you know, the, the Apple head on just tend to laugh and say, don't don't worry about it. We've got this covered, but they don't say anything more. Mm. So I, I think that we're definitely in a place where the buttons are being pushed on Apple pretty hard with announcements like this from Samsung and Google. So they're going to have to come back pretty quick. And I think this year's Worldwide Developers Conference in June may be that time. Yeah. What they come to the table with, I don't know. That's going to be hard, a hard guess, but they're definitely going to have to try and compete with what's what's going on on the Android side. To a degree, it's a little bit of apples and oranges, and I know pun very much intended here, because this is a software update that Apple's putting out this week, whereas Samsung was talking about hardware. So, so it's not it's like not a fair comparison to say, oh, this announcement is a little underwhelming compared to last week's announcement, because yeah. again, the hardware versus software, you're not talking about the same thing per se. No, but, the, but don't forget the Samsung software, you know, is built to work with specific pieces of their hardware and the new Snapdragon processors. Yeah. So listen, I, I think we're gonna see an M. We're due for an M4 chip or an A617 to 18 chip um, from Apple. And I think we're going to see a lot of conversation about how they're moving a lot of processing onto the device itself. Things like that live translate, again, easy to copy, but can you legally do it patent-wise? <laughs> Let's see how that works when it comes uh, to phones. There's always billable hours available, Mark. If only we'd gone to law school. Uh, Mark, you are hitting the airwaves again in about one hour and 18 minutes for another edition of Access Tech Live counting. at noon Eastern. <laughs> I, you know, I'm a producer at heart, Mark. Uh, what's, what's on deck for the program with Stephen today? We're going to be recapping uh, the Game Accessibility Awards uh, that happened. Like, sorry, the Game Conference Awards, Game Accessibility Conference Awards that happened uh, just last yesterday, yesterday afternoon. We're going to talk all about the winners. Steve Sale of the Blind Gamer is going to be joining us to all talk right about on. those. And we're going to introduce you guys to the How Innovation Center, a company we met over at uh, CES, what, three weeks ago now? Oh, my God. Uh, time flies, dude. Time flies. It's pretty remarkable stuff. Hey, Mark, thank you for this. Have a great day. Have a great show. Talk to you next week. Thanks, Dave.
That is Mark Aflalo. He's the co-host of Access Tech Live. Don't forget, you catch that show Thursdays, noon Eastern time on AMI-tv. You find The Pulse weekends on AMI-audio. The Pulse is continuing their three-part series on accessible fashion. Judah Gupta will speak with Wendy Wong about her organization, June Adaptive. That's The Pulse weekends, 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. And of course, you can find it on demand on your favorite podcasting platform or stream it on YouTube. And really good when you stream it on YouTube, like that, transparency. They work hard to make a good video product, so don't forget, stream the show on YouTube. Coming up next, you'll find out what's hitting the airwaves at 2 p.m. this afternoon on Kelly and Rumya. And uh, I've got to ask Rumya why she wasn't on the show yesterday. She was in the building, but wasn't on the show. I feel like something is afoot, and Rumya's going to tell you about it. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Thursdays are always busy on AMI-tv. You just heard about Access Tech Live hitting the airwaves at noon Eastern. Then there's a little bit of a breath. And then Kelly and Ramya hit the airwaves at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Ramya Amuthin is the co-host of that show and can give you a little bit of insight on today's program. But Ramya, before you do that, you were in the office yesterday, but then weren't on the show. Where'd you go? No, I came specifically to hang out with you. Obviously, and I left. obviously. <laughs> yeah, that's it. A little Dave time. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, no, I was with Kim Kilpatrick, actually, and some of our friends from CELA, the Center for Equitable Library Access, all the way downtown. It was worth the trek to go to the um, Toronto Metro Toronto Convention Center because they were having a bit of a conference and staff meeting, their start of the year thing. And Kim and I, as frequent users of CELA, went to go chat about our experience with the services. Um, you know, we were asked questions. It was very engaging, actually, around just like traditional library services versus specialized services like CELA for people with print disabilities, our own experiences with the changing of technology. Kim had a lot to say about that because she's a huge, avid um, Braille advocate and user. And the future of libraries, Dave, which we have a lot of opinions on as people who are either exclusively audiobook listeners or just people with alternate format needs um, to say, you know, where are libraries playing their part and what's going to happen moving forward? Well, so lots of opinions and perspectives. Yeah, super cool that you got a chance to present there. But I imagine you had a chance to kind of consume a little bit too, right? Like it's not just a question of you sharing your perspective. Mm -hmm. You probably absorbed a lot while you were down there too. Absolutely, because there were people there um, representing different libraries from across the country, actually. So uh, someone from Saskatchewan and someone from um, uh, Nova Scotia and PEI and Vancouver. So a lot of people were there just not CELA, uh, traditional libraries and representation. So there was a lot of curiosity around the table about different things. And uh, I think it was a very open conversation, really. Well, Ramya, you did such a good job telling me what you did yesterday. You can now tell me what you've got coming up today on the show. Oh, thank you. So on the <laughs> Thursday lineup, uh, which I am back for, we have Mike Fair talking about the Calm app. Have you dived into the Calm app? No, the, I've uh, heard a lot. Of, I've heard a lot of uh, podcast uh, commercial reads for it, though. But I haven't. Yeah. I haven't jumped in. I don't need guided medica medita medication. I don't need guided meditation, <laughs> uh, Ramya. I uh, I work. I work on sort of my own centering plan. Okay, and your own medicating as well. But mm. yeah, so. 
<laughs> calm <laughs> is going to be brought up again. Mike likes to check in on calm to see how they're doing with accessibility. Uh, he's also going to come on later on the round table. Plus, Mary Mamalidi is going to talk about mood boosting foods during oh, the winter. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, I like that. A little yeah. assonance, a little play on words. The mood boosting foods. <laughs> it's, nice. it's very nice. And Fern Lullum, kind of in this whole realm of emotional well being, she's going to talk about emotional triggers. Uh, she's, you know, all giving us a bit more of the wellness and emotional health aspects of segments every other week. So that's what we'll talk about. Well, so there's sort of a bit of a theme here. Mental health is definitely yeah. on the radar today. You also on the show uh-huh. yesterday with Alicia, well, you weren't there, but Alicia Yardley from AMI's HR department talked about uh, the, uh, mental health and work-life it's balance. It was, yes, yeah. yeah, you guys are doing a really great job on that. Really, uh, like really great job keeping that conversation going and being practical about it. Really, really credit mm. to you guys and the producers. Okay, Kelly and Ramya, 2 p.m. Eastern time, AMI-tv. You don't want to miss it. Hopefully the internet doesn't uh, crud out for their show. All right, let's bring in Alex Smythe. Alex, you've got a story here for myself and Ramya to react to that's from the food world. Some food news. Yeah, Dave, something to, to kind of uh, chew on uh, as I, I set up this story. Firehouse oh, well done. is, thank you, is expanding its presence in Canada and has its sights on incorporating and involving first responders and veterans in the growth. And Michelle Zedekian serves up the story. The sandwich chain is offering $100,000 to current or former first responders or veterans who agree to open a Firehouse Subs. Firehouse says it costs between $400,000 and $500,000 to build and open one of its restaurants. It's zeroing in on first responders and veterans because Firehouse Subs was started by former firefighter brothers in Florida nearly 30 years ago. The expansion pitch comes as sandwich rivals Jimmy John's and Jersey Mike's carry out lofty growth plans in the Canadian market. Michelle Zedekian, The Canadian Press, Toronto. So Firehouse Subs already is a staple in the GTA and there's no details yet where exactly these new locations will be. Toronto. Um, they'll be in Toronto. They'll probably be more in Toronto, but I'm, I'm sure elsewhere in Canada as well, there will be more growth and expansion trying to uh, kind of compete against some of the other major sub chains that are already yeah. here. So there, there, There's already one not far from the office here. Eh? There's one up on York Mills near uh, Don Mills. When I when I got flooded out of my apartment a couple of years ago uh, and had to stay at a hotel up there, I actually ended up eating at Firehouse a couple of times. Pretty good. Not bad. Mm, pretty good. Well, Kelly's Dave, mad. this this uh, kind of probes, uh, probes my, my question. What is the best sub Chain. So, oh, Ramya, I'll throw the ball. Oh, man. Oh, don't come to me first about I'm so <laughs> basic. Like, I've only tried Firehouse once with Kelly in London, and he is a huge fan. I don't even remember what I had, honestly. And then the other thing is just Subway, and it's because Subway was the go to place at Seneca at York that I hung out at at odd hours when other people weren't there <laughs> and mostly only had the cookies or the meatball subs but yeah no I, I i can't necessarily answer this with the uh the food critic mind dave oh, i can oh oh yeah okay, come good. come come to the obese guy the obese guy's got answers on this front you're uh, the only one left <laughs> uh like subway is whatever like subway is there's one not far from the office and i tend to go there because it's uh, used to be semi-affordable and i find the food is like acceptable but alex i'm gonna mm-hmm. go regional on you mm-hmm. uh, a, cha- a, a, a place a regional chain that i wish was national and it's dagwoods in quebec uh, it was started by this greek guy spiro dagwood 
Hollywood like 25, 30 years ago, and they just make these incredible cold cut subs. Like it's not it's not sort of your conventional like pita pit or subway where there's like steak and cheese and roast chicken and this, that, this other. Mm. It's like just fresh cold cuts, fresh bread, simple sauces, and then of course like the, the usual stuff with like the peppers and the hot peppers and the tomatoes and the lettuce. But there's a beauty in its simplicity and because all the ingredients are sourced locally, Oh my gosh, Alex, every time I go to Montreal, I will go out of my way to go to a Dagwood sub. Yeah, and, and this is always the challenge as well, right? And we, I think we've all kind of uh, touched on this. Like the, the reason is, uh, the challenge is it's, it's, it's proximity. Subway beats every other competitor out of the water when in terms, to, in terms of uh, proximity and locations. I mean, it is the largest fast food chain, I think, globally, uh, and it's, it's hard to find any other alternative now firehouse subs they're starting to pop out more and more there is one in burlington that i know of but it's all the way like a 15 20 minute drive so i've only ever had it once um i used to always love quizno subs but uh, oh, yeah. those have kind yeah. of disappeared like those were always those were the treat they were always a bit more expensive but like they offered mm. those more gourmet quality subs but nowadays i'm kind of like stuck going to subway as you say dave subway's fine you know, it's, it's fine. It's, it, you're gonna, it's fine. It's not not special, but it's typically the the one sub place I'm going to find, and I, <laughs> I always like it a bit more than Mr. Sub. If they want to sponsor the show, though, I will tell you how amazing <laughs> Subway go. is and how affordable <laughs> it is, and how the meatball sub always hits the spot when I when meatball I need when I need, when I need a pickup here. Uh, this is really about the chainification of the food industry, though, which is mm -hmm. like kind of a bad thing, but it's also kind of a good thing. Like as a consumer, I I'm not someone who like shies away from eating at chains, you know, you're still supporting a franchisee, you're still supporting an owner, you're still supporting workers. Uh, if you could have any major American chain or European chain or your Asian chain come to Canada, what would it be? Alex, you get uh. the first crack at this. So this is one that I, I've heard nonstop great things about down south. And in doing the research uh, uh, during the show to uh, find out more about this change, I found out it is, in fact, coming to Toronto this year, Shake Shack. I've mm. heard nothing but mm. amazing things. Everyone always raves, oh, if, you go, if you're down south, try to get to Shake Shack. It's so good. I'm very intrigued. It's supposed to be coming to Toronto this year. I want to check it out. But uh, to to be one that's not already set in coming to Toronto, uh, In and Out is another one that I've I've heard really good things about. I, I'm I'm curious. I I'm always want to try the different burger places because you know I can always get down with a, a sloppy yeah, greasy yeah. cheeseburger. I'm actually I'm trying to remember the name of this major American chain that I went to in Phoenix, Arizona, a couple of years ago. But it's just I can't pull it from my brain right now but they specialize in sourdough buns and like Ooh. i just love me a sourdough bun on a burger like holy smokes uh really good stuff but to answer your question in earnest alex and one that i can yeah. think of off the top of my head sonic uh, Sonic is sort of like a drive up, not drive through, drive up. And you, they do like burgers and hot dogs and like lemonades and milkshakes. Um, it ain't fancy. It's actually quite dirty and sloppy. But Rumia, chili cheese, tater tots, a burger and a, uh, and a strawberry milkshake. That makes Dave Brown a very happy boy.
That's what I was going to say. Like, we have so much of this already, but we're like, yeah, bring it on. <laughs> Give me more. <laughs> Give me more, whatever. What's another burger place in the same five-meter radius, you know? But, um, yeah, I was going to say In-N-Out as well. I've never tried it. I've never tried any of these ones you've mentioned. Um, you pretty much end up going to, like, McDonald's. I think the sandwiches, like, going back to Subway a little bit, or Subway subs a little bit, I never really felt like subs were a thing. But I am getting more into just trying sandwiches on menus in general um so my mom she, when when we used to go to philadelphia for uh eye appointments and such she would um enjoy eating at the oh god pot belly okay i think that's what it was called it was a sandwich shop I'm not sure if it was an actual <laughs> chain but bring that here this is good okay there you go well done guys we did it we're bringing more chains to the canadian marketplace and local <laughs> restaurateurs are screaming at us support local okay we'll try we'll do our best that's all the time there is for the show today don't worry things come back again tomorrow morning at 9 a.m 9 a.m. Eastern Time, hopefully with something resembling internet, maybe, possibly. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.